was glued to their television sets as Nicole's ex-husband and former superstar NFL running back O.J. Simpson led police on an hour-long chase down California's I-405 before being arrested and charged with double homicide in the death of Nicole and Ronald. The jury was sworn in on November 9th 1994, and after 11 months on October 3rd, 1995, O.J. Simpson was acquitted on both counts of murder by a jury of his peers. The trial of the century was watched by an estimated 95 million people with the pursuit and arrest of O.J. Simpson being recorded as one of the most widely publicized events in American history. Over the course of the trial, there were many memorable moments and people introduced to the public, but perhaps none as memorable as defense attorney Johnny Cochran and his famous line, if it, that is the gloves, doesn't fit, you must acquit. Uh, as we continue our series on Romans this week, we're going to continue what we've been reading, the indictment against our world, against our culture, against you and I, uh, from God. Paul presents it, and uh, over the last four weeks, we've had Alan present a, uh, an aspect, a facet, if you will, and John has presented a facet, and today I get to, I get to kind of wrap it all up. So if you will uh, just kind of stay with me here, we're going to begin, well, at the beginning, all right? Before I give you our, our uh, proposal today, Romans 1.18 says this, the wrath of God is revealed. That is, I can look and see the wrath of God. It's revealed, okay? So stay with me here. From heaven, and it's revealed against what? It's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. All right, and my proposal is this. If we can look at our society and see evidence of God's wrath, then logically, that makes us a society of the ungodly and unrighteous. That we are all, in fact, guilty. To make it a little more pithy, if the glove fits, we cannot acquit. So we'll begin, as all good trials do, with Exhibit A, Prosecution Exhibit A, and we'll pick it up in Romans 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So it begins, and this word tells us that all of creation points us to the existence of a God. That there is no excuse, there is no fool. When I look at uh, the cosmos, when I look at the stars, when I look at the face on the, uh, those beautiful little girls of mine or that little boy, I, I know there's a God. In fact, I would tell you that there's never been born, not even one time, ever been born an atheist. When we are born, we inherently know there is a God. We inherently know there is a creator. We have to be taught to deny that truth. We know. And yet, in 1859, a scientist by the name of Charles Darwin published uh, his famous book on the origin of species and presented to the world a theory that we were evolved from tiny organisms to more complex over time. And he, he based all this on adaptation in uh, beaks of birds. But his theory is that we all descended from lower life forms. And so you get this, this picture. We're all kind of familiar with this and, and all the different aspects that we uh, evolved. All of a sudden, we went from a world that understood creation to be, uh, you know, anywhere between five and 10,000 years to we've, now we've got millions and billions of years because we need that time for this adaptation to take place according to Charles Darwin's theory. Uh, at first... Darwin's theory was laughed at. It was not considered at all uh, reasonable. Uh, it was against everything that, 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 that humans had come up with or understood and certainly what the Bible had taught, and he was laughed at. But, as we're going to see, as a kind of a consistent basis over time, things begin to change. And it really where it began to change is in the, the area of academia and schools. And, and, and he started to take a, a little bit of root so that in 1925... Our next little milestone here on this, this presentation, we get to Dayton, Tennessee, and the Scopes Monkey Trial, as it became known. And this fellow, John T. Scopes, here in the middle, was accused of violating the Butler Act. Now, the Butler Act was a law in Tennessee. This law was to prevent evolution from being taught in schools. Mr. Scopes, in fact, taught evolution in schools and was therefore uh, being prosecuted for breaking, violating the Butler Act. Uh, during his, his, his attack, his prosecution was a guy named William Jennings Bryan who represented the idea of the fundamentalists who just believed that Scripture is what it says it is and that when it lays out a history, that history is, is fact. All right? Uh, and he represented the fundamentalist view, right? It's really funny. Uh, Secondary, Clarence Darrow was the defense attorney. Now here's what's fascinating. Over the course of this trial, Scopes would lose this trial. He would get fined for $100 for violating uh, the Butler Act and for teaching evolution. But the damage that was being done was really in the banner between these two lawyers. These two lawyers going back and forth and the, the media coverage of it. And uh, this poor guy who is uh, far from a theologian in Mr. Bryan was put basically on trial. Christianity was put on trial. And over the course of, of this interaction, essentially, Christians were portrayed as being dumb, 
having no reason, just blind faith, having no answers for the claims that the Bible made or the claims that they placed their faith in, and a significant amount of damage. And all of a sudden, what was theology, the queen of sciences? In other words, when you were a parent uh, two, a couple hundred years ago, if your kid said they wanted to be a doctor, well, whoop, yeah, that's great. If your kid wanted to be a lawyer, that's outstanding. But if your kid said he wanted to be a minister, that was the top of the mountain. Theology was the queen of the sciences. There was no higher endeavor that a person could seek than to pour their life into studying God and presenting God to others. 1925, that began to change. And again, Scopes lost the case. But over time, damage had been done, and we begin to see a decline from a basic Christian belief and the infallibility of the Bible all the way down, and we start getting further and further away from trusting God, from trusting the Scriptures, and we begin to see this shift, and this shift takes us up to 1958. 1958, uh, the United States is concerned. They're in this race with Russia to go to space, and, and they're concerned, and under their concern for keeping up with Russia academically, the National Defense Education Act of 1958 is passed. When this act is passed, one of the, the clever things that were hidden in this act that was designed to prepare American minds to be able to compete with the Russian minds as they're developing this program to go to space. But one of the subtle things is the act yielded textbooks that were produced in cooperation with the American Institute of Biological Sciences, and it stressed the importance of evolution as the unifying principle of biology. Very subtle. Very subtle little change. And we go from scopes where you're going to get a $100 fine for teaching evolution to now evolution is the unifying principle for biology. Not quite done there. We go to 1965, Engel versus Vital in Hyde Park, New York. And again, Christianity is put on trial. This time, uh, they had been conducting prayer meetings, uh, non-denominational. This is not, uh, not even required as far as that goes uh, for the kids. But if the, for the kids that were going to participate, they would have prayer every day before school. Uh, but from not, not from a kids doing it separately, but from within the school system itself. And, and they declared, uh, A, the, the Supreme Court ruled that prayer is a religious activity by its very nature, and that prescribing a religious activity for school children uh, violates the Establishment Clause. That is our First Amendment right to the freedom of religion. So the thing that's supposed to guarantee our religion, well, that's in the way of this. So we're gonna, we have to get prayer out of school. The defendants argued uh, that they were not asked to observe any specific religion and that this nation was founded on religious principles and prayer was, of course, voluntary. But the court held that the mere promotion of religion is sufficient to establish a violation even if that promotion is not coercive. So we go uh, from scopes getting arrested to now you, you, you hear this line, separation of church and state, which is fascinating because really when that phrase was coined by Thomas Jefferson, it was to say that the government could not have influence on the church, not that the church would not have influence on the government. But by the time we get here to 1965, it's been twisted around, and now there will be no prayer in schools. You will not teach a Bible in a public school. That's that's, that's where we've gotten. So I guess my question to you, and here's what's fascinating. We go back to the verse, and it talks about the foolishness of men. The foolishness. 
Well, we're going to talk about evolution, the foolishness. We can look at the fossil record. We have a lot more access to the fossil record than our buddy Darwin did. And in spite of all the claims of this missing link or that missing link, it's all foolishness. There's millions of examples of all kinds of fossils. If there were missing links, there'd be millions of examples of those. You wouldn't find a bone fragment the size of your thumb and construct an artistic rendering of what you think the missing link is, which is what our scientific community has done. It's foolishness, absolute foolishness. Uh, the, as far as that goes, the fossil record shows polystrate, Fossils, trees growing through these layers that are supposed to be millions and billions of years old. And some of these trees growing upside down through millions and billions of years old. So the idea that this is millions and billions and all this other stuff, it's foolishness. What makes a lot more sense is there was a great big flood. And the water receded. And just like if I go to Washington and I, I go and I look at the, the ground as the, the, the flood water comes up and it recedes and I see these layers of mud. You know, the, the Parks Department does a really good job. They get there and clean that up. But if you go there right away, you'll see it. There's your explanation for your fossil record buried in the pages of Scripture in Noah's flood. Foolishness. Irreducible complexity. I love this quote, all right? This is, this is I like using Darwin's own words. This is what Darwin says at the end of his book. If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous or successive slight modifications, my theory of evolution, it would actually absolutely break down. That's what Darwin said. Darwin had no understanding of the complexity of the human cell. He had no understanding of the wonders of DNA or mitochondria or, or just the way our different organs exist. The truth is there's billions of examples of, of, of cells and, and parts of our body and parts of nature that are irreducibly complex. They can't exist in parts. They have to exist totally useful in the package that they're in. Again, evolution is foolish. We have, we have told ourselves we're wise, but it's foolishness. And then my favorite to me, it's the slam dunk when it comes to uh, any evolutionary talk is the second law of thermodynamics. That's the law of entropy that says all complex things are breaking down and getting less complex. You, that it, it's literally, that's the observable law that we can constantly see as uh, Darwin was looking at the beaks of these birds. He's right, there's variation. But what he didn't understand is DNA. And at the molecular level, at the DNA level, understand every single one of those variations, every variation we've ever seen is a loss of genetic information. Yes, there's variation. Look around the room, we're all different. There's variation. But it's a loss of material. These little changes, these subtle differences from those bird bees, it was a loss of information, not a growth, not a brand new creature born out of a simple organ. No, 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 that's laughable in the face of physics, the face of God's law that he has established that is observable and understandable. So my question to you is, we go back to the verse, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God. Understand, we were made in the image of God. You and I, every person in this room, you're made in the image of God. It's amazing. It's a miraculous thing. But instead, evolution tells us, what? They exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. We just came from an animal. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. So my question to you is, based on exhibit A, well, I'd say we're guilty. Wouldn't you? 
but we're not done. Prosecution, Exhibit B. Let's continue. Romans 1, 24 through 25. Therefore, because God, now understand that therefore is huge. That's a conjunction, man. We're, because they did this, this is the consequence of that. Understand, young people in this room, we live in a cause and effect universe. You do this, you get this consequence. Until we get to God's grace, man, what you get is what you, what you reap is what you sow. That's the way God's designed it. It's orderly, all right? Because we rejected God and his order, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And you say, okay. Where's this going? Well, I'm, I, I could go back a bunch of different ways, but what I chose is to go to the 20s, the roaring 20s. You got, who's read The Great Gatsby? Man, there should be way more hands. It's a really good book. Gives a picture of the 1920s in America. And cultural norms and, and values, Christian values, began to take a pretty major shift uh, at this moment in time, prostitution and speakeasies and drinking and, and just free sex, everything changed. And not just in literature, but in the media. And all of a sudden, we start seeing family values begin to break apart. 1920s is where we really start seeing a big swing. But God's word's not done yet. He goes on. He continues down this path of, of sexual debauchery. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so we see an increase in the 60s, the sexual, which is where most people would want to hang the sexual revolution title and free love and, and of course, the homosexual movement. And I, I want you to notice on the sign as they're campaigning, 3,000 homosexuals demand justice. Well, the numbers have changed over time. I don't know if you're aware of this, but numbers have changed. Uh, as of right now, the percentage of Americans who identify uh, as LGBT is... Uh, well, it's increased. It's increased from, uh, I, I like the way they break this down. Traditionalist, that was about 1.4%. Currently, with millennials, that population is 8.2% of the population of people born after 1980 would identify uh, themselves in that movement. As a matter of fact, if you remember that 3 million sign, the current population estimated LGBTQ, that's people that identify according to the survey, is 14,629,500 since 2017. Now, I would say that's, that's, we could call that a significant growth uh, in the population. But the verse doesn't just say that that'll be there. I, I'm fascinated by the penalty, the penalty that'll, that'll be, particularly focused in the scripture on homosexual men. And you'll notice here, uh, men are 40, homosexual men are 40% more likely to contract gonorrhea. And then this one, homosexual men account for 41.6% of all reported cases of syphilis. I want you to think about that, all right? The population, 
in this United States as of right now who identify as LGBTQ across all age demographics is 4.5%. So, uh, now we don't, I don't have a breakdown. I tried to find it. It's funny that nobody really likes reporting on these statistics. So you really have a hard time finding just clear cut numbers. However, out of that four and a half percent, please understand there's a percentage that identify across the spectrum of the LGBT community. And of that percentage, there's a percentage that is homosexual men. Now, 41.6% of all the cases come out of whatever that small percentage is. I want you to think about that. 41.6% of all cases come out of that small percentage that would identify as a homosexual man. It is safe to say that, yes, uh, we go back to the verse, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men gave up natural relations with women, consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving the due penalty for their error. So when I look at God's word and what he says his wrath looks like, I can understand, I can see men exchanging the image of God for animals. And yeah, I think I can see a progression, some changes in sexual behavior in our population. I, I don't think we can look at our history and we can look at the steps here and miss this. Do, do you see it? Can you guys see it? Not done yet. Exhibit C. Romans 1, 28-32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. On the heels of the sexual revolution, of course, we got to have abortion. I was talking to the kids this week. I was teaching through Moses, I guess it was two weeks ago, and uh, as as a new pharaoh takes charge, and his plan is to kill all the babies, all the male babies in Egypt. And isn't it fascinating that I thought that when you get to the most base place in society, when things have gotten just so far out of hand, the, the most threatened people are the babies. We see it when Jesus is born, and, and Herod says, I want all the male babies, I want them all dead. All right, we see this uh, as the Israelites are going through, and they're interacting, and they become apostate in themselves and turn away from God. And they start feeding their babies through the fire, passing through the flame to the, the false deity Molech. 
Uh, we see that in Scripture. At, the, at, the, at society's most base level, when things have getting completely out of hand, babies are threatened. And since 1973, on the heels of that sexual revolution, uh, 63,459,781 babies have been aborted. The base mind, doing what ought not to be done. Drug, the drug boom. Uh, you know, I used to always think growing up in the house, uh, the environment that I grew up in, I always, uh, not that I knew anything about God, but I, I never really heard anybody talking about drugs in the Bible and what did God say about drugs. Well, he does say stuff about drugs. I hate uh, the, the translation that we have. The, the Greek used the word pharmaceutica, and for some reason our translators want to put that as sorcery. They really should just put drugs in the Bible. It's, it's okay. It's there. God actually talks about it, and it's good to be aware of that because we have a drug problem if you don't know. Uh, this, is, this is just the use of the word drug in verbiage. All right? So the more we talk about something, we know that's common in culture. And I want you to look at that explosion from 60 to 2005. Isn't that fascinating? And then I go to overdose deaths. And in 1968, in the height of the hippie movement here, we've got 5,061 overdose deaths. That's 2.8 people per 100,000. And as of 2018, 20.57 people per 100,000. It's there's not a person, not a family in this room at some point that probably has not been impacted by drugs. Seen it to one degree or another. Our culture is ripe with it. Look at it from a different angle. April 19th, 1995, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols drive some vans up and they blow up a city in Oklahoma City. Or blow up a building, sorry. They kill 168. They injure 680 people in a domestic terror attack. You guys remember this? I remember that. I, remember, I missed school that day. I seen it live on TV and I couldn't believe it. We weren't prepared for that. This, it's, it's funny how things have changed. Now that's not quite as a shocking as it, as it was then. It was pretty shocking. We, we go forward four years, April 20th, 1999. Eric Harris and Dylan Keebold killed 12 students and a teacher and injured 21 in Columbine, Colorado. You remember that. And again, uh, it's so funny, these, uh, it's sad. A lot of our kids in this room will not understand how traumatic that event was because that had never happened before. You guys live in a culture where there's school shootings and that's on the radar and there's radar, there's security and there's police at your school. But prior to this, that, that, that didn't exist. We never would have thought that somebody would have gone into a school and shot anybody. Changed the world. Since Columbine, there have been 231 school shootings. 304 people have died. An additional 485 people have been injured just in school shootings. It's a crazy number. We'll look at it from a different perspective. More than 29, stay with me here, more than 29 million reports of suspected child sexual exploitation are received annually in this country. That is 563,461 every single week. Depravity. Look at child pornography. This is, this is great. Child pornography, 1998, 
there were 3,000 reports of child pornography in the United States. 2021, 18.4 million. That is a 613, 233% increase. How do you wrap your mind around that? I could go on. I haven't even, I mean, we talk about 9-11. I can give you a myriad. Of, I mean, come on, we could go on forever. Things are falling apart. Romans 1.32, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice these things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Well, they do. Whether it's our government celebrating sexuality, homosexuality, whether it's our, our right to an abortion, hey, let's legalize drugs. That's a, that's a, that's a big thing going on right now. Or, uh, yeah, sexual exploitation in the name of free speech. We're going to make a multi-trillion dollar industry out of exploiting people in the name of free speech. What's fascinating about this, I, I just want to pause for a second and consider this, this stretch of, of Scripture from an apologetic standpoint. I love reading prophecy because I think it's fascinating that you read what God says, you know, 800 years before it happens, and man, it happens down to the details. When you read about Jesus and, and all the prophecies that he fulfilled, you're just, God, you are amazing. You are absolutely amazing. And what I'm here to tell you, did you notice as we're going through this section of Romans, every single thing, chronologically, every single thing, God's word does not return void. What he says will happen, happens exactly how it's going to happen. And Yep, don't like hearing this as much as I like to hear about Jesus riding in on a donkey, but guess what? What God says is true. What God says, it's true. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the facts presented before you today are undeniable, they are irrefutable, and they can leave us with no reasonable conclusion other than this. We are guilty and are ungodly, unrighteous people living under the wrath of God now. As the prophet Isaiah might put it, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We are guilty, friends, each and every one of us, and Johnny Cochran isn't going to cut it. We are in need of infinitely greater representation. The good news. That's pretty bad news. But there is some good news here. The good news is that the Lord our God was well aware of our need. 
He was aware. And as Apostle John writes in 1 John 2.1, My little children, I am writing these things that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. See that word? An attorney, a representative. We have an advocate with the Father. Sits right at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The Apostle Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. We're guilty. We are guilty. And by nature, we are worthy of the full wrath of a holy God. But God. There's another wonderful conjunction. I like this one. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's the good news. Do you know him? In whom do you trust to secure your eternity? Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in yourself? You can't. You're guilty and you know it. Are you trusting in someone else? You can't. They're guilty. And you could have every Johnny Cochran that has or ever will exist. They can't free themselves, let alone you, from the charges that you face. Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the only answer, the only advocate Capable of setting us free, do you know, do you know him? Have you placed your life, your eternity in the hands of the only one willing to give his life to set you free? It's my hope and prayer that you have, and that if you have not, you'd have the courage to step forward today so we could begin to introduce you.
Do you, do you know Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are faithful and you are true. You have given us your word and in your word we, we can look around at the world around us and we are without excuse. Lord, this generation more than any generation, we have full access to your whole counsel given to us in your precious word, Lord. We have no excuse. We have Google. We have more, more knowledge available to us, more information available at our fingertips in just a, a second's notice, Lord. We are more than capable of understanding, of learning, of, of grasping hold of the truth. And yet, just as your word told us, the, the road is narrow and few find the way. The road is wide and many, many, many go the other way. Lord, I just pray that for each and every person in this room, they have fixed their eyes upon you, Lord Jesus. They have placed their eternity in your hands. And Lord, if there is even one person in this room, even one person at home listening, Father God, I pray that you would speak, that you would just pour into their hearts at this moment and call them to you. The time is short. We, we don't know how long. Maybe it's 100 years. Maybe it's 100 minutes, Lord, but you are returning. You are, you are coming. Lord, I pray that we would be found prepared for that day, for that glorious day. We return to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.